We must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support. And now for the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, F. Scott Field, and I'm thrilled, as always, to be joined by my co-host, Brandon Pone. Today's guest is a published author of the books, The Automated Practice and The Practice Freedom Method, Dr. Jamie Schreier. Jamie, we're so thrilled to have you on the show today. For our listeners who may not know you, could you give them a little background on your educational journey and how it led you to where you are today? Absolutely. First of all, I just want to appreciate you guys for inviting me on and let me share a little bit about my story and, um, and all that kind of good stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I, um, I started in practice uh, in 2001, like most people. Uh, I worked for a few years, just all fired up, excited about doing my own thing. Always wanted to, to be in business ever since I was a little kid. My dad was in you know, he was a self-employed small business and uh, just always wanted to do it. And, you know, I spent, I spent a lot of time, you know, uh, developing my craft, spending lots of money and, and, and uh, practicing my craft. And I was like, man, I want to, I want to treat people the way I think they should be treated. Right. And uh, so I did that and uh, you know, it was great. I was with my fiance at the time, Colleen, who, you know, we're now married now. And um, it was all great for about two years. And then after the two-year mark, you know, when we started to grow and started to hire, I just felt this, this anxiety coming, this, I call it the pit in my stomach. And it, it all came because I really didn't know what I was doing. You know, we're never taught this in school, how to, how to run a business. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, frankly, I was just lost. And, uh, but you know how it is, you keep a smile on your face and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, everyone thinks you're doing great because you're, you're a business owner. But the reality is I, I wasn't, you know, it was affecting my relationships with my spouse. It was just affecting my ability to just, I don't know, just be happy. So um, in 2004, we had a fire and it was, it was crazy. Uh, over a weekend, my, my whole place burned down. And it was, uh, believe it or not, it was kind of a blessing in disguise. Of course, I, uh, I didn't think that at the time, but reflecting back on it, it was a little blessing in disguise because I was just at the point where I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I didn't know how to really build this business. I was working 60 plus hours a week, six days a week. And um, when this fire happened, it just got me thinking, what am I going to do here? Am I going to just kind of give up or maybe go back to working for someone or maybe just get out of the field. I was really that distraught. Or am I going to build a business? 
So of course I chose to, I'm going to build a business. I just didn't see why I couldn't have a business and have time to be with my family and friends and do the things I want to do and make money and deliver an amazing service to people in my community. I wanted to have it all. And I just didn't see why I couldn't, but I had no idea what to do. So fast forward nine years, um, I invested uh, a ton of money, over $300,000 of my own money. Most of it I didn't have, so I had to borrow. And um, uh, who knows how much, how many hours I put in uh, learning from anybody and everybody. And I was finally able to do it on um, 2013. I was able to remove myself just from treating. That's, that was my number one goal. I wanted to see what would happen if I had a team in place removed myself from treating what would happen to the business and my business to, <laughs> to my surprise, frankly, and to a lot of other people shot up. We did almost a 20% increase in, in revenue. Uh, profit was, was at an all time high, did about, um, I don't know, $250,000 in profit that year. And I took 137 days off, meaning no work, no checking emails, no nothing. And um, I was like, holy moly, this is, this is something pretty cool here. I bet I can help other people who are struggling as well. Uh, so that's what I did. And that's what I've been doing since then. Uh, I put together you know, a, a methodology, a way I call it Practice Freedom U, uh, which takes a lot of stuff that's in the book and more stuff, more stuff that I've learned since then and been teaching and helping other practice owners ever since. Wow. I mean, it's really interesting to kind of hear that timeline of your story and how you really had a negative event that took place with the fire really overall turn into a positive experience down the road. And of course, I'm sure it didn't feel that way at the time, but, uh, but it's really remarkable to kind of see how things have progressed, you know, for you in that time. And, and as you kind of just mentioned there, you had mentioned books. So you publish two books now, you know, and I know in healthcare, that's not something that a lot of us generally do. Do you think you could kind of tell us and walk us through what the process is like from writing to publishing and the promotion of selling <laughs> a book? Because I'm sure that's a lot, there's a lot into that. Yeah, well, uh, I, I'm a slow learner. I, I try to take, uh, I try to take sh shortcuts to do things, or at least I used to. And, um, and writing a book was uh, a, a huge undertaking. And when I created my first, my first program, put together uh, called the automated practice, private practice. I put together 12 modules of how I built my business. And what I wanted to do is take that and put it into a book. So I was like, all right, well, well, how do I do that? And of course, you know, I was like, well, I could hire someone to help me write a book, but I should be able to write a book, right? It's not that hard. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, I transcribed, and this is kind of the, I don't know if anyone even heard this, uh, knows this story. But I transcribed initially all of the modules that I created, and I thought I could then hire an editor to edit it down into a readable book. So this took me, I don't know, about six to eight months to do. And when I finally read the version after the editor, it was like a dyslexic first grader wrote it. I mean, it, me speaking and someone reading a book is not even close to, <laughs> to, to what, you know, to, to actually creating a, something that's, you know, readable and all that. So I just spent, you know, six to eight months doing this. And I was like, this is crap. And my wife was like, Jamie, just write the book the way you want. No one's ever going to be able to do it as what you want. This is your first book. 
just do it. So I was like, all right. So I literally just carved out, you know, couple hours here, couple hours there. Every week I'd put on my calendar, I'd go to the coffee shop, put my headphones in, and I would just say, okay, in this chapter, what's the outline of the chapter? What am I trying to communicate to the, you know, the owner that's reading this or the manager that's reading this? And then I just started writing stuff down. I tried to open my mind up, not try to be too critical as, you know, so many of us are. And it, I just got into zones. You know, we, we talk about being in flow. We talk about, you know, athletes are in the zone. You just start getting in zones and, and it just starts coming out. And that's what happened. And it took me about a year and a half to actually do all of that over two years total. But like I said, the first part was I thought I could just do this quickly and, and transcribe and edit. So that was the process I did. Uh, you know, I outlined um, the methodology of how I did it. And I wrote it in a way where I included the good, the bad, and the ugly. I include uh, so many stories of what happened. Uh, the fire was just the beginning. I've had so many other things that, that has happened that at the time seemed to be some negative, but uh, later on actually became a positive, a learning experience. And, and that's how I did it. And then at the end, I hired a, a new editor, cleaned it up, and then just went for it and put it out there. And it's, uh, it's been doing great. And a lot of people have given me feedback and that it's really helped them. So I'm, I'm proud of it. Awesome, Jamie. Well, let's dive into that first book, uh, The Automated Practice. Why is it so important to automate systems for business owners? And what are some of the best ways you go about doing that? Yeah, so, you know, automation, we, we've changed the title of the book um, to The Practice Freedom Method. It, it's, it, it's really the same book. A little confusing, but I wanted to move away from the word automation. It, it was too, it was too industrial. It was too, it didn't have any feeling and emotion. And you know, physical therapists, we're we're feeling, we're connectors, we're 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 you know, people that are trying to help, and we do this over many many visits, not just like one five minute visit. So I wanted to to modify that feeling of what this is, and really, it's about creating practice freedom. So. You know, what, what automation is, uh, it's another word for systems. It's another word for process. It's, it's something that can be done, predict, it's, it can be done uh, and be replicated that produces a predictable result regardless of who does it. As long as they know how to do something and as long as they're trained, it produces a predictable result. So why is that important? Well, when, when that fire happened and six weeks later, I just made the decision, hey, I don't care how long it takes, I'm going to create this idea of practice freedom. I'm going to create having time and having money and, and really having choices and learning how to build team and hire and market and all these things. I said, I know how to treat people and I know how to do them well. I got a line out the door, but how do I replicate my success without waiting 15 years for someone to get my experience. How do I do that? So when you're talking about automating something, you're talking about putting out there a process, a way of doing it, a step-by-step -step way of doing something that someone else can learn. Obviously, they have to have a, uh, uh, the raw material, but if they're trained, they can learn it and get a consistent result that you got. Maybe not exactly the same that you did, especially when it comes to treating, but they can get pretty darn close. So that's, that's the importance of automating or creating systems is because you are able to 
step away from something, but still get the ultimate result that you want. And in order to do that, there's a couple things you have to do. The biggest thing is this thing that we have is ego. Physical therapists, <laughs> myself included, everyone that I know, we have a pretty strong ego. You know, we've, we've been very smart. We're very, um, you know, uh, we're very successful in our academic path. We, we've, 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 you know, been the top of our class. And when you build a business, you, you actually have to let go. Letting go is one of the toughest things for us to do. But it's the only way for you to be free of something is to let it go. But you don't want to abdicate it. You just don't want to throw a big pile of mess to somebody else. You got to make it into a way that someone can learn how to do it. So th there's obviously so much more to it that we can dive into. But that's, that's really the, the importance of automating something or creating a, a process, a system around something. Yeah, Jamie, you know, you talk a little bit about learning the, and the learning process, right? You've compiled everything you know and all your experience as a business owner into these books, you know, but you also go around teaching your methods, correct? Can you, can you tell us yes. a little bit about that experience? Yeah, it, it's, been, it's been a blast. I, I mean, you know, I always feel if, you, if you're familiar with Simon Sinek and, and, and a lot of the work that he's doing, you know, his books start with why and, and, his, and his famous TED talk that he has, and you hear it more and more about really finding your why, finding, finding your passion and building your, your life around that passion. Well, I can tell you that I really loved having a business. I loved being a clinician and helping people. And what I found is my true calling, my true passion is helping others. I get more satisfaction helping others and seeing others succeed than really any success I personally have. So um, in 2013, when I started on this journey of how do I help others reach not only this kind of success, but much greater success than I, than I have and do it faster than I did. I mean, it took me nine years. Now people are doing something like that in like 12 months to 18 months. I mean, it's really amazing. It's just, it's been a blast, you know, speaking on different stages, speaking at private practice sections, speaking at different state uh, conferences, private groups, business owners, even some of the large corporations out there and, and sharing my experience is just an absolute thrill and, and seeing people grasp this stuff and, and seeing how they look at this, this, this stuff that I'm sharing with them and they kind of create their own way of doing it. So it's not just kind of following, you know, cookie cutter of how to do it, but really developing their unique way. And, and that just, you know, that just elevates our industry. You know, people, you don't have, what, what the great saying is, you know, you don't strengthen you don't strengthen the, oh, what's it? I don't know. I can't remember. But something about, you know, you want to, you want to, you want to, you don't want to tear the, 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 the good people down there, right? You want to, you want to strengthen what they're doing so they could go out there and, and accelerate even more and build even more what they're doing and their success. Um, so having the ability to do that and sharing that and sharing different things that can help with people has been a, a total thrill for me. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I think I'm going to go back, Jamie, just a little bit kind of going off what you were kind of saying about your first book, because some things that really struck out to me that, you know, instead of kind of really separating the term automation and really kind of maybe morphing it more into more of a systems definition seems a little bit better. But then also that 
you know, not one person can do it all. And I definitely will agree. And I've heard this from many business owners as well, that delegation and being able to find a good team around you that can manage all these tasks and make it as efficient as possible, it's going to help everyone, the patients, the business owner, the staff, because I mean, at the end of the day, we can't do everything. We only have so much time available in the day and we have to prioritize what's the best way to use our time within that way to make things go better. So I really like that perspective and what you said. My book that I'm kind of starting to outline right now is everything that I've learned since then, since 2013, when I you know, started to coach other people and how to do that. The first book was all about how I, as a business owner, went through this journey starting in 2004, all the way up to 2013. So really the things I'm learning now that I'll be sharing um, in, in, you know, that I share now with, with my different groups and clients and, and I share some of it uh, with other people on stages and stuff and webinars and podcasts like this is really, uh, it's much more of a, it's kind of a psychological journey. I mean, a lot of stuff that you just said was really interesting. You mentioned, you know, uh, other business owners have shared that, um, you know, you really can't do it all on your own, Right. And my, my response to that is, well, who said you could? And I, and I say that because school, this, this, this academic model has taught you that you can do it all on your, on your own. You want to be the best. You want to be the clinician that every, everyone comes to. So there is this air of I'm the best. I'm the greatest clinician in, in my state or in the country or whatever the case is. I mean, that's kind of our society, right? You want to be the best. Well, in business, to have the best business, you can't be the best at everything. But no one can because we all have different skill sets. We all have different talents. We all have different unique abilities. So learning how to create a team is paramount. And it's the only way to build, grow, and scale your business. It's the only way to have practice freedom is to create a team. So learning how to do that, which again, none of us have been trained to do that unless you've taken specific courses on uh, programs on hiring, learning how to do that is the most powerful thing you can do. The challenge we have is we have a history of doing it ourselves. And, you know, that has been, you know, something that I've learned, you know, just so powerfully over, over the last few years um, in this kind of next level of, of my life and and my professional, uh, what I've been doing, really that psychology of how do we as physical therapists think and operate and how can we get past some of these uh, mental barriers, some of these false beliefs that we have that are kind of holding us back. So, you know, you, you mentioned before about my story with the fire, you know, at the time it was a it was a pretty traumatic experience. Yes, but everybody has experiences in their lives. Some experiences good, some experiences not good. But when you reflect on those experiences, you get to choose how you want to remember those. And if you remember the experience as a negative experience, such as, you know, doctors, you know, doctors, uh, no, nobody refers. Doctors don't refer anymore to people like me because I went to a couple of doctors and uh, they never referred me any people. If you hold on to that experience, it will prevent you from moving forward and have you totally discount that entire 
area that potentially could generate tons and tons of referrals versus saying, hey, you know what? I went to this doctor. This was the end result. But what could I do to make this better? What could I do to improve this? What did I learn from this experience that I can take with me to approve upon it? So we, we think about that when we are clinicians, obviously how to improve our treatment techniques and things like that. But for whatever reasons, we don't look at our business, quote unquote, failures in the same way. We don't look at them as powerful learning experiences. So that's been a huge transformation for me and for people that I've spoken to and work with is really how to use these, what seems to be difficult negative situations of your past and how to use them moving forward in the future to turn them around and create quickly amazing success. I think that's a very powerful point, Jamie, especially because, you know, as you mentioned that there are events that we have in life that are some positive, some negative, and it's our response, our belief and our mindset to whatever event takes place that really shapes our ultimate outcome to the, you know, to that level. So I totally agree with that. And I, I want to go back a little bit in which you kind of mentioned this briefly about school here and that as physical therapists in particular, on average, we don't get significant amount of business education in their graduate programs. Now, first and foremost, I kind of want to ask you, since we're an education podcast, why do you feel that this is the case? And how do you think this should be addressed or changed if you think it should be? Yeah, um, well, it's, it's simple why it's the case. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to speak for every single school. There are some schools that are a little, little stronger in business, a little stronger in the entrepreneurial uh, viewpoint of physical therapists, but predominantly it, it is the case. And I can tell you why, because school is designed to really do one thing. When you go to school, their job is to help you pass the boards. That's the outcome they want. Because if you can't pass the boards, you can't become a licensed physical therapist. So if schools, does, if schools being graded on how many successful, you know, how many people are successful at passing the boards and then moving on into the workforce as licensed physical therapists, then everything they do must be done in order to do that. Now, yes, of course, they want to create well-rounded people and they want to, you know, give you different opportunities, but there's only so much time. And the first year or two is pretty much taken up. I mean, you got anatomy, you got physiology, you got all these kind of set things. So there's not a ton of time. And I've spoken to uh, professors and deans at, at different programs. I mean, me being here in Maryland, um, I flat out uh, uh, called the uh, uh, director of Maryland. I said, hey, you know, I, I got a bunch of uh, your students asking me to come down and just do a little training. I'd, I'd be happy to come down, you know, off, off hours and, and on my own dime and just kind of share with them some things because they're interested in maybe uh, going into private practice. And she flat out said, no, Jamie, they're busy enough. This really isn't our focus. So um, we're going to say no. And, and I, that blew me away. I, I couldn't believe she said that, but she did. And, um, you know, and, and she said, look, you know, we're here to, you know, help these people pass the boards. And doing that is not going to be, it, it, they feel it's going to be too much. They don't, they don't need to know that. They'll learn that once they get out into the workforce. So that was kind of an eye-opening to me of why they don't teach it. Should they teach it? That's, that's a great question. I definitely think they should offer at least a track, some type of track, just like they offer tracked in pediatrics and orthopedics and neurology. I think they should offer uh, 
some type of uh, track towards that because our profession is um, our profession is going to be saved, so to speak, if you believe it needs saving, which I, I do believe it needs to go to another level with an entrepreneurial spirit. It doesn't mean everyone has to go into business for themselves, but they have to have that entrepreneurial spirit. And we want to start developing that entrepreneurial spirit in school because there's so many people coming out there um, that I've spoken to that unlike it was when I was in school, um, a lot of them just have this, you know, maybe it's because of technology and they grew up with technology. They just have this entrepreneurial spirit and, and, and of how to create their thing. Seth Godin in his book calls it making art, you know, creating this thing that you're passionate about. And I think school can start bridging that a little bit and helping people developing that, even if you're bringing in kind of an outside adjunct professor who's in business or can help them talk through. So I, I think there's, um, there's room to improve on that end. But again, there, you're, you're trying to fit a lot of information in a relatively short period of time to ultimately have someone pass the board so they can be a therapist. And then really it's up to us to take our own you know, self-development in our own hands and move forward. Yeah, Jamie, that's a really great point. You know, I think overall physical therapists as a whole are really creative people, right? We're constantly having to find ways to adapt exercises and adapt uh, equipment and adapt living situations. So, I mean, we're, we're always thinking of ways to make things better and change things and, and really, you know, work on the fly and, and be creative. But if we're not fostering that in school and we're not trying to develop that outside of the realm of physical therapy, I think you're right. I think we might be in trouble moving forward. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, um, I, you know, it, you got, you got people like you guys and, and what I'm doing and so many other uh, uh, people out there sharing what their experiences are, you know, other business owners that are sharing other, other leaders that are sharing. So, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think we're in trouble, but you know, th there is this, disconnect between the academic model and the entrepreneurial model. And I think if we can bridge that gap, even if it's a small, tiny little wooden bridge, um, just something, I think it could really benefit people that are in the programs. And that's what this should be all, you know, really about is allowing people to choose their path. And, you know, when I got out of school, uh, it took me six years to, to open up my own practice. Well, it, it would have happened a lot sooner, but the, all the advice I got is you need to get your feet wet, uh, go to a hospital, you know, learn about a lot of stuff and then kind of figure it out, even though I knew what I wanted to do. But it, it was that advice and me being, you know, just young and, and impressionable. Um, I did what I thought I should be doing, right? I did what I thought was right. And then I look back and saying, that's crazy. I, I didn't have to do that. I could have easily you know, um, moved into orthopedics quicker. I could have been, you know, focusing on, hey, Jamie, if you do want to go into private practice, why don't you join a private practice and start learning not only your skills, but learn actually how they put the practice together because that's going to really help you in the future. Like that one piece of advice would have completely changed my path. I mean, looking back, I, I, you know, that, that's okay. I, you know, everything turned out fine. But I think really encouraging people and, and letting them explore what they want to do, I think is what, you know, uh, what this is all about, not limiting people into saying this is the right way to do it. Because, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of ways to, to do things. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jamie, 
kind of bouncing back into the business side of things, in your opinion, what are the most important metrics that a business owner should be tracking and, and why? Uh, oh, man, we could be here for hours talking about uh, uh, different metrics. But in a business, look, metrics provide objectivity. That's what a metric does, right? You can call them key performance indicators. You can call them statistics. But it is an objective number that is a result. So um, we speak a lot in our programs about results matter. And a metric is a result of what you think or how you think how you're communicating, the process in which you have. So if whatever the metric is, the metric is showing you how well or not well something is working. So what metrics do you want to know about? Well, obviously, uh, the most powerful metric is new referrals. So how many new referrals are coming into your practice? Now, so many people talk about referrals and you know we we talk about referrals and we help people generate referrals but what i found is you know if you have trouble with referrals and moving that metric up you have a problem in other areas of your business too because again the referrals is a result of how you're getting them so referrals then translate to new patients because not every referral comes to your practice is going to actually be a new patient who is actually a paying customer and then that translates to visit and so many visits are not being realized because the referral that or the new patient that comes into your practice doesn't necessarily come in for the full plan of care. So your cancellations are higher, your dropouts, your no-shows and stuff like that. Again, all of those are individual metrics as well. So you got, uh, you got referrals and new patients and visits and cancellation uh, percentage or percent arrival, however you do it. But one of the biggest metrics that I look at from an operation standpoint, so everything I just gave you is operation, it's not financial. Um, the biggest one is utilization percentage. There is no metric I found more important. It's because of what it represents. Utilization is how productive you are in, or your team, um, how many visits they're seeing compared to how many visits they could see in a given week or a given day, whatever your parameters are. And it's such a powerful metric because it forces you to look at, well, what is my expectation for my team? How many visits do I expect a full-time therapist to see per day and per week? And when, once you get clarity around that number, you then just multiply it by their FTE status, which is, stands for full-time equivalent, which is basically 40 hours of, of treatment, that, of course, is another metric. And then you divide those and, or multiply those and you get the total capacity, which again is another metric. So all these kind of go together. Um, it can be fairly complicated, but you know, we try to simplify that. But when you know what that utilization is, what I found is so many people have much, much lower utilizations than they think. And that is money on the table. That is tons of money that you are already investing with your staff that you are paying for that you could increase your profit dramatically. So utilization percent is the biggest. On the financial side, I mean, obviously you gotta have eyes and ears on your expenses, on your revenue, um, on, your, on, on your, uh, how much money you're making per visit, your revenue per visit is huge. And of course, always uh, looking at your, your profit as well. Yeah, no, Jamie, I think that's a very, very 
good perspective to have, especially for students that are listening right now and maybe aren't aware specifically of business avenues and some of these metrics and stuff, because I think that is really important for any clinician for that matter, but particularly newer clinicians as well, to really get a full understanding of the business rehab process. Because you know, as much as we'd like to know, it's, I mean, clinical skills and clinical stuff is very important and I will not diminish that for one second, but business skills and knowing the rehab process, I think is also equally, if not more important in some avenues. So I think that that's a very powerful and important point to bring up for sure. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, there's not a big difference between business skills and clinical skills. Um, If you break it down, as clinicians, the best clinicians in the world are not necessarily the most talented, like gifted clinicians. What they are is very good communicators and very good connectors. They know how to connect with people and, and they know how to build trust. And what I found, well, guess what? Business is the same way. Connecting with people, connecting with your team, connecting with potential referral partners, uh, connecting with your community. How do you build trust and credibility amongst them? Again, it's not how much talent necessarily you have. It's really uh, developing those skills that we all have. So I think clinicians, I think physical therapists, naturally, if framed in the right way, will make and have made the greatest business owner. But they have to break a couple previous mental constructs that have been uh, kind of cemented in their brains just because of schooling and everything. You just got to break some of those because it is a different way of looking at things in the business world. Failing in the business world is a good thing. You just don't want to do it over and over again. Failing in the academic world is horrible and you're never going to get into school and you're never going to get A's and that is a bad thing. Business, hey, as long as you learn from it, it's the only way to learn because nobody does it right, right out of the box. So there, there's definitely some different uh, uh, frameworks and mindsets that you have to do. But as far as skill level, they're, they're more similar than a lot of people think. I think that's a really good point, Jamie. So Jamie, what are some tips that you find yourself giving to the brand new business owner on a regular basis? Yeah, uh, that's, that's a great question. I mean, the, the first thing that you want to do, whether you're thinking about going into business or, or just starting out is the, the, the key is really mentorship. You want to connect yourself with people that have been there and have done that. That's really the biggest thing you can do. And you don't need to spend a bunch of money. You don't need to drop, you know, a thousand, two thousand, five thousand dollars initially on um, programs that can help you. You can just reach out to your local community. It doesn't necessarily have to be people in in physical therapy business. Because when you get into the business world, especially people that you know are successful, people that you want to try to emulate maybe the way they deal with people or, um, you know, obviously financial people, you know, people that are financially successful or people that you just connect to. You want to reach out and maybe just invest in a breakfast or a coffee or a lunch and ask them some questions. You just say, hey, you know, I'd love to really, you know, uh, talk to you a little bit about your experiences in business. I'm thinking about going in there and um, I'd love to, you know, buy you breakfast and and, and, and talk to you for, for a little bit. Um, it's amazing how many people would say yes. Um, I get reached out, um, you know, sometimes in, in my area. And um, it, it really is just a thrill for business owners to share their experiences with others. There's this openness that business owners have. I know sometimes in physical therapy, 
world, uh, at least my experience, it's, it's a little bit of this silo, a little bit of this, I got to keep what's mine to me. Um, but the reality is opening and sharing is, is, is really what it's about. So that's the number one advice I would, um, other than that, people that are going into business, use a mindset that you did in school. And the mindset that you did in school is, uh, and maybe you didn't think of it like this, but I'm going to invest X number of dollars because I want what I want. And, and nowadays school's so expensive that you're literally between undergrad and grad, you're talking about two or $300,000. That's what you're investing or your parents or whoever. Somebody's investing that money, but there's no guarantees you're going to graduate from PT school. There's no guarantee in undergrad you're going to get into PT school. There's no guarantees you're going to get a job. And there's no guarantees you're going to get the job with the money that you want. But you do it anyways. Why? Because you have a burning desire of this is what you want to do. And you're willing to take that risk because it is a risk. But when you're young like that, you don't think of it. One of the challenges we have when we start going into business, we try to do things uh, very cheaply and very like um, taking the, 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 the small road out. In other words, we, we, we go into business, but we don't want to invest in business. We don't want to invest in our education around how to market, how to grow, how to hire, how to connect with others, how to sell our programs. And we get upset when we're not successful. And so many business owners I see that are not successful, there's only one reason. They haven't made a commitment to do so. They haven't made an investment in money and time to do so. So when you're going into business, make sure you go in with the mindset that you are going to invest in this thing. Because if you do, I promise the results you get will be astronomically better than if you do what I did initially. My investment was $14.95. I bought a book. That was it. That was my business, business education. I bought a book, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And then as I started you know, going through and learning and investing more money, I realized that if I'm going to take this seriously... I got to invest more time and money into doing this and implementing what I'm learning. So many people don't do that. And it's because of fear or it's because of, um, I don't want to, what if it doesn't work? So we limit ourselves because of that. So that's the biggest thing is make sure that, you know, you put money aside to invest this and give yourself some time to do it. Connect with mentors in your area, you know, connect with five mentors invest in a breakfast with them and you'll get some really, really great nuggets that will save you tons of money and time of how to move forward. Other than that, you know, the number one thing in a new business owner, if you're, if you're considering doing that, um, the number one thing is creating relationships. Um, everybody talks about marketing. One of our kind of unique things that we do is we really talk about relationship marketing, using your natural ability to connect. We, we take that and how do you connect relationships that are deep relationships, not just superficial ones, but you're really connecting with people, really seeing how you can help them as well as they can help you because those relationships last for a long, long time and they can equal hundreds of thousands of dollars in referrals. So no better skill than how to develop relationships. You know, grab, uh, write down 20 people you know in your area and start connecting with them. That is the easiest and the fastest thing to do to get you into motion to start building your practice, generate referrals. 
I think that's some very, very powerful advice, Jamie. And I would definitely incur that all of our listeners to really take heed of that advice and listen to that and really think about um, school for that matter, but also your career and potential business, if that's what you want to do as a very, very solid action plan. Because I think there's a lot of good, important tips on there that can help save a lot of time money and frustration too. So thank you, Jamie, for that, because I think that's very helpful. And we like to end each episode with this one follow-up question that we ask all of our guests, because we're just curious to hear what everyone's thoughts are. And the question is, if you can change one aspect of healthcare education, whether that be physical therapy or other healthcare provider related, which aspect would you change and how would you change it? I would absolutely incorporate more business-related outlets uh, whether it's core curriculum or not, it doesn't necessarily have to be, but definitely have some outlets in the the business education, business skills, because business skills, like I mentioned before, are very similar to a lot of the skills we use as physical therapists. So it's another way of looking at it. Um, so how to communicate, how to public speak, how to engage, how to sell and persuade people, because we're doing that on every level, regardless if you're an educator in a classroom or whether you're a business owner is trying to uh, persuade a, a physician to refer you people. That skill level is not necessarily directly taught in school, but it's so powerful. It can help people not only in the business world, but it can help you in anything that you do. So that's just an example. So I would say add in that type of stuff and it's easily it's easy to do because there's so many talented people out there that can help schools do it. You don't necessarily need to hire and spend a bunch of money on additional educators. You can just reach out to people and and offer those types of things and let the students decide what they want to take. So that's that's how what I would do and that's how I would do it. Jamie, that is great advice. I can't thank you enough for your time and for coming on the show today. Where can people find you online and on social media if they have follow-up questions? And where can they buy the book? Sure. Um, well, you can actually uh, buy the book. You can go to my website. You can find a lot about me and the programs we offer. It's called uh, thepracticefreedommethod.com. You can always reach out to me personally, jamie at jamieschreier.com. Um, I'm, I'm sure you guys, uh, I'll make sure you guys have links on, on the podcast um, to connect with me. So uh, that, that's probably the easiest thing to do. Uh, we actually offer uh, the right now for a limited time because um, we might be taking it off. But we offer the book on our website. All you do is pay shipping, shipping and handling costs. So it's cheaper than going on Amazon to get it. It's about $7.95. So um, that, that's a good read. It'll give you really an insight to um, just a lot of stories, uh, a, a lot of specifics, how to, and um, you know, give you an insight of, of what really what business is about, and hopefully some of the things of what not to do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really important learning what to do, but also what not to do. So I think that's going to be very, very valuable to the listeners. And for all, all you guys listening, please check out the podcast show notes because all the links, all the stuff we've been talking about and all the references will be included in there for your convenience. And and Jamie, again, I can't echo Scott's point enough that it's really been an honor having you on a talk with him about all this stuff. And I've definitely learned a couple new things as well, which I love by doing this podcast. But thank you so much for your efforts and service. And thanks for coming on today, man. Always a pleasure. Hey, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks uh, for having me on. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare 
A telehealth platform is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available in our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.